How's the mic, by the way? How are we doing with that? Good? Great. Um, and again, welcome to the summer. It's fun to be able to see you guys here. I know that we had that break in between the school year and then when we started up the summer in. And I found myself walking into the last Tuesday, the night of the first summer in. And I could just tell that I was going to get, ex- I was getting excited because I knew I was going to be able to see you guys again. And really, it's you guys that makes um, being here and being on staff here an exciting thing to do. Um, for those of you I don't know, my name is Emily Vansel, and this summer marks the third anniversary staff here, which is hard to believe because time goes by fast. Um, but I've had to be in the Greek ministry coordinator, um, and one of the reasons why it's been really fun to be on staff is because when I was a student, um, I came to UW, joined a sorority, and so the end, being here on Tuesday nights uh, in Larson Hall, uh, which is a really familiar thing, it was a real big part just lost it. There we go. It was a big part of my college experience. Um, it was a place where I had the opportunity to meet great friends, people who are now good friends, still good friends in my life. Um, and it was a refuge at time, and it was a place where I felt like I just learned a lot about who I was and about who God was. So it's a privilege to be here on staff and still get to be part of what God is doing through this ministry. Like I said, the inn was a place where I got to meet a bunch of good friends. In fact, there was a group of friends that we ended up, um, after we graduating, after graduating, we ended up deciding that we all were going to be just lifelong friends. We kind of made this commitment together that no matter where we were going to go, we were going to continue to meet together. So we've made promise to each other that at least once a year, we would all get together. Because after college, we all kind of split. Like you go to a big college like UW and People have dreams about changing the world, as I'm sure you guys do. And then you graduate, and people, you just split. You end up going all different directions. And so um, once a year, we've decided that we'd all come together. And that happens to be this upcoming weekend, 4th of July weekend, which is going to be so fun. So friends are coming into town. And one thing that is inevitable when you're with people who have known you for as long as these friends have known each other is that you start to reminisce with one another. You start to, you know, the stories, it could be the same stories that every time you get together, you know inevitably those stories are going to come up again and again and again. So you just kind of start getting on a roll. You know, it's kind of that like, oh, wait, no, do you guys, but do you remember when, you know, la, 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 the story goes on. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. But do you remember when? Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Well, if you guys are at all a fan of Saturday Night Live, especially in the old school days, or of Chris Farley, you know that the king of, of reminiscing and remembering and being excited and also nervous at the same time about stories was good old Chris Farley in the Chris Farley Show. So let's let him kick us off here. I love that. <laughs> well, tonight we're going to, and this whole summer actually, we're looking at the book of Exodus. And it's full of these awesome stories. They would be stories that would be told when the Israelites would be together These stories would be told over and over again. In fact, elements of this story that we're going to be talking about throughout the summer, you're probably all somewhat familiar with. Like, you've probably heard of the parting of the Red Sea. The Israelites walked through and around. You've probably heard about how God gave the Ten Commandments to his people. You might have heard about what we're going to go over tonight, which is how God came in the form of a burning bush and spoke with Moses. The Israelites would, would have said, um... Oh, do you remember, um, yeah, when, God, do you remember when you, uh, yeah, you had the Israelites walk through dry ground, even though it was a big ocean? That was awesome. (laughs) Exodus is full of awesome stories. In fact, what happens in this book, it's the, they are the central events 
of the Old Testament and really Jewish tradition. And so to know what God was like, you had to know the stories of Exodus, the stories of God delivering his people where they were in a place of slavery in Egypt into freedom in the promised land. It's similar to if we want to understand what God is like in past um, New Testament times, we have to understand the crucial events of the New Testament, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Those are the crucial things. We can't know God without knowing about those things. So it's the same with Exodus. Well, as Voy kicked us off last week, the big thing that we're looking at in Exodus is how the Israelites were God's people and that God began a relationship with these people, with the nation of Israel, way before he gave them the Ten Commandments, which is pretty smart because as Voy said last week, um, rules, wait, what is it? Sorry. Rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Any relationship that originated when rules, just by rules being given, it's not going to work out. It's not going to be meaningful. Any meaningful relationship has to start with someone being known and a mutual knowing of one another. Well, my hope tonight, as we look at the story of the Israelites, specifically Moses and the burning bush, my hope is that we'll be able to walk away from here with a clearer picture of what God was like in relationship to his people long before he gave them um, the Ten Commandments, guidelines to live by. Like I said, as we look at the big picture of Israel, the life of Moses, I think we're going to see that God is one who hears his people, that God is one who remembers, he never forgets, that God is one who sees his people and that he knows them. Well, before we go any farther and I get the chance to open up the text, and start to go through these stories. Let me pray for us. Well, Father in heaven, um, you who are faithful, God, and the God um, that we get to read about tonight from the Old Testament. God, I have to admit, stories when we talk about you as um, God, this great big God that appears to Moses in the burning bush, that it's hard to believe that that same God is the God that can meet with us here tonight. Lord, that even sometimes we read, um, I feel like up here my words can echo that of Moses, of saying, well, who am I um, to bring this message? So, God, I pray that you help all of us uh, tonight to know your presence, to know um, more clearly what you are in relationship to us. Lord, thank you that we can trust that you are here in us. You know me pray. Amen. All right, well, I want to catch us up and really quickly see some of the context of what's going on in Israel. Now, I'm going to kind of just cruise through this. I'm going to be like rapid-fire speaking here, partly because I think some of this story is going to be familiar to you. And part of the reason why is because about uh, a little over 10 years ago, DreamWorks came up with this great movie. At the time, I was in college. I was going to a movie, going to a cartoon college. You guys were probably like 10. Um, But Prince of Egypt, have you guys seen it? Okay, so you're familiar with the story of the Israelites. So I'm not going to focus too much on the details. By the way, I put this picture in there too, but I, I just love how other references will come to the book um, of uh, Exodus too. So like Bruce Almighty, one of my favorite scenes in Bruce Almighty. Part of the Red Sea. Oh, and he's Canadian. Go Canada. All right, so look at Israel as a whole, where they're at at this point. They've now been in Israel for 400 years. That is a long time. So they've been there for 400 years. They started out, 
just a tribe of 70 grown and grown. At the point that we see them, there's about 3 million people. So what happens is the, the um, king of Egypt sees them growing, so he starts to oppress them. The more he oppresses them, the more that they grow. And he realizes that just oppressing them by putting them in slavery isn't doing the trick to totally containing them. They're still him. So he starts a new tactic. That new tactic that he basically um, gives an order for is that of genocide. That every Hebrew baby that was going to be born male was going to be killed by being thrown into the Nile River. They believe that the Nile River was God. So it was kind of like that was a way of sacrificing, a way of being even religious was to sacrifice the babies into the Nile River. So it's bad news. That's not a story that you'd necessarily want to remember. That's where the Israelites were at. Then misery, oppression, even genocide. So that's the big picture. And then the lens of this book, this movie, starts to narrow in. It's like one of my favorite features on Google, where you can go from the Google Maps of, I'm looking at the United States or Canada, and then pretty soon you can go street view, and all of a sudden you're looking at one particular person's house. So now we're zooming in to one particular Hebrew family's home, and we're going to see that this is the family and mom of the man that we're going to start to get to know, and that is Moses. And Moses, tonight we're just going to scratch the surface on who Moses is. We just get to see the very beginnings of his life, and as the story continues, weeks to come, we're going to see more and more and more of him. So we find out that Hebrew, or that Moses is born a Hebrew woman, which means that he's going to have to be thrown into the Nile. Mom's a smart woman, puts him in a basket, and throws him into the Nile. So at least maybe he has a chance of having his life be saved. Pharaoh's daughter comes, babes there, sees him, takes the child, long story short, ends up seeing Moses, takes him into the home, and he is raised in the very heart um, of the leadership and power in Egypt, um, in the very palace of Pharaoh himself. He grows up still a Hebrew and identifies with being a Hebrew, but he's been raised as Pharaoh's son. And one day he goes out and he sees the oppression of his people. He sees, he sees the oppression of his people, and he takes things into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian, thinking that no one saw this. Um, he still goes about, and the next day, um, but he, found, he ends up finding out that the Hebrews, as well as Pharaoh, found out about him. It's kind of like now when we watch the tabloids, um, we think that celebrities, celebrities seem to sometimes think that they can get away with things, and people aren't going to find out. You know, it's kind of like, that's Pharaoh. Something big happened. People were going to find out about it. So people found out. Pharaoh was going to kill him. He loses the respect of the Hebrews. So, so Moses ends up totally fleeing from Egypt and goes into this land called Midian. And there in Midian, he settles in. You know, it's not too exciting. What he does is he becomes a shepherd. Um, he ends up meeting a family. They give him a daughter in marriage. He has a son. And I want to tell you the name of his son because I think it um, encaptures how he probably felt at that time. His son's name was Gershom, which meant, I have become an alien in a foreign land. That's a bummer if that's but that's how Moses was feeling. I have become a foreigner or an alien in a foreign land. To me, that speaks of just a bit of despair and hopelessness. That maybe once he had great hopes and dreams for his life, and here he is, kind of a nobody out in this unknown land of Midian. For me, if I put myself in the story, it starts to beg, all right, so where is God? These are God's people. So where is the Israelites? Or was Moses himself asking, where are, God, are you involved? Is God involved in this? 
And I look back on my life, and I know that I've asked that same question before, especially when it seemed if there was a time of silence where I couldn't see what God was doing. God, are you out there? Are you even involved in this, in what's going on here? I can look at my world and see that there's lots of pain. I can look at my own life, zooming in my own life, and see at times that there's moments feeling like Moses, alien in a foreign land, might feel like despair. God, where are you involved? What, is it, what difference would it make anyway if you were? Well, here's a and read a few verses from Exodus. So we find out that actually God is involved. We have Exodus 2, 23 to 25. During that long period, no kidding, 400 years, right? The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Well, these verses for me jump off the pages because they answer the question about whether or not God is involved and what the heck that would mean if he was involved. I see four things. Four things jump out for me. That God hears, that God remembers, that God sees, and that God knows. He heard their groaning. He remembers. He remembered that they were his people and that he had established a relationship with them. And he keeps to his promises that he was faithful. And he looked on the Israelites, is what it says. With the translation of that, with the to see, it was to look on or to see as if to know, like to get it. You know when a friend in your life, it's like you can say something and you don't have to even explain very much because it's like, yeah, I get it. Great, now we can move on. Like they get it. God saw in such a way as to know. And then God was concerned about them, was the next phrase. And that is that um, is a translation of a Hebrew word also. But really what it meant was that God knew them. Not just knew them, but that he experientially knew them. So that it was like what they were going through, what he was going through. What they felt, it was as if he felt it himself. Knowing was an intimate kind of knowing. I think we have a basic, I don't know about you guys, but I think we have a basic need in our life to be heard, so that we're remembered, and to be known in that kind of way. I know um, that's part of my story. Um, if I think about my life, my journey in relationship with God, um, that for me started at a young age. I grew up in a wonderful Christian family. In fact, my parents are sitting in the middle of a crowd which they would, sitting right in the middle and not sit in the back because they want to be involved in things, which is awesome. But I grew up, um, my parents being involved in Young Life, and so I was surrounded by people uh, my whole life, wonderful people who, who loved the Lord, who loved people well. And so I heard about a relationship with God. That wasn't a foreign idea to me. I heard about a relationship from God, with God from a young age on, and I liked that idea. <laughs> it was a good idea. I did want a relationship with God. That was good. So I grew up wanting that and knowing that. But what happened in the course of time, even knowing that I was a Christian and considered my Christ- myself a Christian, I began to realize that I could believe with all my heart that God loved the other people in my life, but that God's love somehow missed me. It was really easy, especially when I was in college. 
I was here at the inn. I was living in Kyomega, and I wanted the girls in my house to know that God loved them. And yet, at the same time, there's this big disparity because really, I just didn't believe that God loved me. That began to change in my life was when I started to understand that God loved me, and not just maybe the me that I presented to everybody else, and Emily that was put together, confident, you know, head on her shoulders, whatever, that on the inside, that there was these fears and weaknesses and insecurities. And I found out that God knew that part of me, that he heard my groanings. He heard the places where it was like, oh, I need you. Where are you? That he saw me, got me, and the places that I hurt and the things that have hurt in my life, that those hurt the very heart of God as well. So when I started to learn those things, that I started to learn, ah, oh, God's love is for me too. The real me. So maybe that's a message that someone here that we need to hear again, is that God hears us, he remembers us, that he sees us, and that he knows us. And that that is what a relationship with God looks like. Well, the story doesn't stop there. If it stopped there, that would start emotional, right? It just feels good to know that God hears and he sees me. What we see as the story continues is that God is a God of action. And making things and seeing things happen in our lives. And one of those is the deliverance. Is that God starts to put into place um, events, starts to get events going that is going to end up leading the Israelites out of their suffering, because they were in suffering. And he wants to lead them out of it and into something better. And that's what God does with us, too. So we're going to start to zoom in again, zoom back in, get the street view of Moses. And specifically, we get to eavesdrop. Actually, this is pretty cool. Eavesdrop on a one-on-one interaction that God has with Moses um, through the bush. Um, once again, we pick this up. Where we pick this up, he's a nobody right now. Moses probably feels like a nobody right now. In fact, he's really not even totally connected to Hebrew tradition. Relationship with God probably seems like something that was of a distant past, but life at the current moment. All right, before I read the text, though, you guys might want to shake it out because this is such a rich text that I didn't want to, I didn't want to just paraphrase it. So we're going to read it, and it's a, it's a big passage, um, but it is really good, so you've got to stick with it. And what we're going to do, I think that I, one thing that I like about the summer is the in is that we can switch it up a bit. Um, so I'm actually going to ask you guys to participate, which now you're probably getting a little nervous. What is she going to ask me to do? Um, but I'm going to read the text, and then I'm actually going to open the floor up, and I have a few questions for you. And I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear what you guys see in this interaction. First, I'm going to ask you the questions that I'll ask you at the end, so you can be thinking about them while we read it. Well, first of all, how do we see that God heard, remembered, saw, and knew Moses in this interaction? Second thing that I want you to think about is why do you think it mattered that Moses was of the Hebrew race? So those are your two questions for you. All right, here we go. Story of the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not So Moses thought, well, I will go up and see this strange sight. It doesn't burn up. So when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Well, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Some of the Canaanites today, and now, I didn't want to dwell on those too long. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Man, that's a big call. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Good question. God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared and said, I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And then God, I cut it off right there, but God tells them exactly what to say. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt. And then continues to tell Moses exactly what to say to the king of Egypt and exactly what will happen. Moses answered, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, well, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it. It became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand, took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is he may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God continues after that to give, to give Moses two more signs. He says, well, if they don't believe that, I have a backup. And if they don't believe the backup, I have a backup to the backup. So you're going to be all right, Moses. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. Huh. Perhaps Moses had a speech impediment. Lisp, stuttering. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you teach you what to say. But Moses said, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. 
Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, well, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be sees you. I'll stop there, but the rest of what it says is that he will speak through both Aaron and Moses, but Moses will continue to be the main spokesman. Well, this is one of those awe-inspiring and incredible interactions. This is one of those moments, like I said in the beginning, where you're like, oh my gosh, do you remember? Like, I imagine if this is how it ends up being in heaven someday, um, and I have the opportunity to talk to Moses, I'm going to be nervous, and it's going to be like, oh my gosh, what was it like when you got to talk to God through the burning bush, and he told you that you were going to be the person that what he was going to use to free four or three million people out of slavery in Egypt and into a promised land. Man, I'm going to pull a Chris Farley on him for sure. The questions that I gave you, and this is where I ask for your participation. But in that interaction that we just read, how do we see that God heard, remembered, saw, our new Moses. I'm going to ask you guys to be bold, and you can just raise your hand or shout it out. I know this is not the norm for us at the end. Yeah, that's right. I think that is another one where Moses, he knew Moses. And a burning bush, I think sometimes we can say, we use the phrase, we're looking for a burning bush in our life. Um, but what was interesting was not that it didn't consume. That was something that Moses probably saw every day was a burning bush on the desert as he was keeping flock. It's the only burning bush story that there is in the Bible. Because God knew, wow, Moses has a sense of curiosity. He'll watch this and I'll get his attention that way. Maybe that's part of understanding the way that God calls us. Where is he? What everyday thing might he use that might grab our attention? Just a good question. Good insight. Anybody else? How did God see, remember, hear, know Moses? It's interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He knew about his brother. In fact, he said, well, I knew this conversation was going to go this way, and you were going to tell me that you didn't want to do it, so I already sent your brother. He's on his way to meet you. It's pretty good. How about one more? Yeah. God's relationship with Moses started when Moses was born, not even when he appears to him in the burning bush. The fact that he had killed somebody and now been in, kind of act, living as a refugee in a foreign land uh, didn't, it didn't mean that God had forgotten him and he knew him and a hand of protection over him the whole time. That's good. I think another thing in this, but I want to, my, my answer to the question, you knew I had to have one, right? Um, but God, when it says a God, that experiential type of knowing, that God knew Moses. One of the big things that stands out to me in this is that it said God came down and spoke to Moses in the burning bush. That God's very presence was right there, Moses, and that he got the face-to-face interaction with God. Incredible. What made holy ground, why he said, take your shoes off for it's holy, was not because that was a religious site or a place that you would typically find godly activity, 
but was because that was the very place where God showed up. God experienced him in the very context where Moses lived and met him face to face, which to me is powerful. Um, the next question was, why do you think it mattered that Moses was, a, was of the Hebrew race? Anybody have answered that? Why do you think it mattered that he was an Israelite? Anybody shouting an answer? Yes, Scotty. Right. Right. If the people of Israel were going to listen to him, he probably had better been an Israelite. And then likewise, if he was going to speak to Pharaoh, he probably had better understood the the court system and how it worked in Egypt so that he could walk into that place and know what to do. That God had a specific call and place for Moses. The other thing that I think that it's important in looking at that Moses was of the Hebrew race is that the covenant that for Moses, I wonder if that was a reminder that the covenant that God had made to his people included him. But like I said with my story, sometimes it can be this big, like, oh, God loves you guys. God has a relationship with you guys. But then when it comes to me personally, I, I might not believe it quite as fully. For Moses, I bet this interaction cemented in his mind that God had a relationship in mind with him individually. That God promises were for him personally. And that that was good news. And that's good news. It's good news that God's promises and God's um, relationship is for us personally. It's for us corporately and it's for us personally. And we can know, this day and age, we can know um, that God's promises and relationship are for us really through the assurance that we have, like I said in the beginning of this talk, through the life and the death of, um, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in Jesus, God, who at one point we see that he, his people, were the Israelites and Moses, well, all of a sudden, in Jesus Christ, he flings open the doors to have relationship with him. And that relationship with God is available for all who would believe. And that that's all he asks, just believe in Jesus. In John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that the ultimate expression of God being in a relationship and God being one that hears and remembers and sees and knows is in the person of Jesus Christ then became the presence of God and had a face-to-face interaction with humanity. And that likewise, how God acted to move the Israelites out of misery into something better, that he does the same thing, that God is still in the business um, of leading us out of deliver- or delivering us from the places we are into things um, like life abundantly. So walk away at night with a story etched in our minds of Moses and the burning bush and the Israelites. And like I said, we're at the beginning, and we're going to see more of how God continues to work in his life. But we, may t- we know tonight that God hears us, hears our groaning. He remembers us constantly point that he forgets, and that he sees you, sees you in a way that he gets you, and that he knows you, knows you in a way that he 
hurts where you hurt, and he has joy where you have joy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the story, the story of Moses that um, we see.